What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Blog Talk Radio. In a country barreling towards a crucial election while facing a pandemic, a liar-in-chief, fake news, and murder hornets, this is The Last 100 Days. Well, there you go. Welcome to the Last 100 Days podcast, everyone. It is Tuesday, September 15th, 2020. We are on day 49 in our countdown to the 2020 election. I'm your host, Scott Fullerton, and joining me in just a moment will be my co-host on Tuesdays and Thursdays, musician and internet radio producer Brandon Carmody. There's definitely no shortage of news as the election looms less exactly seven weeks from today to our election 2020. Brandon, how you doing? Good afternoon, Scott. Good afternoon, listeners. And oh boy, am I afraid. 49 days. Can we get one of those horror screams from like Night of the Living Dead? Just a... I know, right? Goodness gracious. Seven weeks from today. It's going to go fast. Not fast enough, but it's going to go fast. And I might add that uh, according to CNBC or C-SPAN or whatever the hell the kids are into now, Scott, that, that's C-SPAN, that's the one. Two weeks from today, two weeks, those, the 29th of September, first debate between Trump and Biden. Right, right, right. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting. Um, it's going to be the big test. I think everyone's kind of waiting to see what happens there. We had all this talk about early voting, and really the only one that's really getting out there for early voting. Pennsylvania's got holed up two weeks due to some uh, snafus. Uh, Wisconsin got held up for a week. I think Iowa got a lot of these early voting states got held up. The only one that really got out there was North Carolina. So the early voting is not as big a play as they thought it was going to be, which I think is very, very interesting and very, very convenient for Donald Trump. But, uh, yeah, two weeks till the big debate. Uh, (laughs) Well, what's on your radar today, buddy? Well, we still got lots of fallout happening from Woodward's book. We talked about a little bit yesterday. I mean, Literally, he did nine hours worth of interviews over 18 days, and we've heard (laughs) maybe 10 minutes worth of tape so far, and each one gets progressively worse. So new tapes out today are talking about how deadly it was and how they were all afraid when someone sneezed in the White House once and everyone left the room, and you don't see any of this happening at these rallies. I mean, it's just such a total disconnect from what we're seeing now, but it seems like his supporters don't mind and don't care. I mean, we have still 5,000 people going to these indoor rallies after it's proven that Trump knows this is uh, 
not good and it's airborne. I thought the most telling sign was when he was in Vegas the other day. One of the reporters kind of took one step too close, and he backed up a step while he was answering questions. And he, But he said, but I, I know that I'm safe because I'm staying far enough away from everybody. And he says that with a straight face while all of his people at his rallies are shoulder to shoulder. But he feels safe because he's six feet away from everybody. It's just such a sorry lack of leadership. I don't know how to describe it. Oh, I have I have a word or two to describe it. First of all, let me uh, let's try to hear it from the lion's mouth. Let me see if this works here. Give me one second. And Bob, it's so easily transmissible, you wouldn't even believe it. I know. It's. I it's, mean, you can you can be in the room. I was in the White House a couple of days ago, a meeting of ten people in the Oval Office, and a guy sneezed innocently, not a horrible, you know, yes. just a sneeze. The entire room bailed out. Okay, including <laughs> me, by the way. See, he thinks that's exactly. funny, Scott. The pre- the president is actually laughing at the end of the interview on the phone with Bob Woodward. Shall we remind folks? The reporter that took down President Nixon. <laughs> right. This is real. Yeah, no, the, this is real. This the, is your real life, you guys. Bring bombshell after bombshell, and it's not phasing his base whatsoever. It's going to be very interesting. I mean, North Carolina is tightening up a little bit right now. Um, Florida, of course, is tightened up to basically close to even. Um, it's it's very, very interesting. This race is going to get very, very tight. And it's going to be pins and needles for a couple of weeks while the lawyers do their stuff and people spin it in all sorts of directions. It's going to be very, very scary couple of weeks come November 3rd. It is. It is. Um, I have something I wanted to share with our listeners here regarding Woodward, because I, I know we have there's so much. It's just a 24-hour just <laughs> regurgitate stuff. But on the Woodward bit, this is from The Hill. Washington Post editor Bob Woodward stated that the President Trump is a bulldozer who ignores guidance from the White House aides. And I want you to listen to this quote. He's a bulldozer to the staff and, quite frankly, to the country, Woodward told the Post, where he works as an associate editor. And he just says what he wants, and there's no control. And this is one of the problems of the Trump presidency, that he doesn't build a team. He doesn't plan. Um, I've got one more clip here, if this will work technically. The president called Bob Woodward uh, a month ago yesterday, on August 14, to ask questions about the book. I want you to listen to this exchange where Woodward tells the president there's some things he's not going to like in the book. Literally, check this out. This is cringeworthy. It's a tough book, sir. And uh, you you have your say, and there's going to be a lot of controversy about it, I expect. The whole business with the uh, COVID uh, and dealing with that is laid out, and so it's uh, it's close to the bone. And you helped me get there, and I appreciate that. All right. Well, we've done better than most countries with COVID. You're starting to see that. I mean, there are parts of the book you're not going to like, and uh, what I like, though. Well, just you know, there is. Uh, it's tough times. The uh, the virus, uh, as you repeatedly told me, and as you've said publicly, it's uh, derailed things, and uh, it's a it's a big reality in people's lives, as you know. So uh, I will get it to you, and 
You know, the market's coming back very strong. You do know that. Yes, of course. And Did you, you know, cover that in the book? Uh, yeah, oh, sure. Oh, my God. He keeps pivoting to the market. Are you kidding me? The topic is the pandemic, Scott. What do you think? Well, that's his base. His market is it shows all of his rich elites that things are back to normal. I mean, this entire economy for the three years that he touts the economy is doing gangbusters has been gangbusters for one set of people, people making over $400,000 a year. So the market is their big indicator because, as you know, unless you have a 401K, which not everyone does, um, very few people are invested in the stock market and very few are invested in the stock market to make money. 401ks are for retirement, and so that kind of fluctuates over time, and the market will generally raise over time. But for big leaders and shakers that count on making fortunes betting for and against the stock market, that's big business. So as long as that's moving, the people that are supporting him, the people that fund his campaign, these type of people are very, very happy. So that's an indicator to him if, if that's what he's always kind of put into it when he says the economy is doing well. It's primarily to the wealthier people or for people that had money to begin with. And so he keeps going back to that because he wants to remind those people where he's at. People that are just, I mean, I've lost uh, what I got. I, I'm back. I was down thousand um, dollars in my portfolio when this hit, I am back. Supposedly oh. the market is all the way back and I got my latest statement and I'm still down 22. So I've gained eight of it back, but I'm still down 22,000 okay. in my okay. portfolio. So, I mean, it's not, it's not coming back that even though the stock market is good, it's certain stocks. If you look at it, it's the top six, like Amazon, Google, Facebook, those stocks are all way up, and that's what's bringing the stock. Tech stocks are bringing it up, um, but it's not an overall market gain. That's my. What are your thoughts on it? Well, well, I've been told the economists that I listen to, and uh, ironically, some of them switched teams on the cable news network. Like Ali Velshi was a CNN guy, is now on MSNBC, and it was like, oh, hi, Ali. <laughs> uh, right. Interesting. Right. So. But but some of those guys like, you know, Christine Romans and Ali Velshi that I've listened to over the long term say that the stock market is not a strong indicator of what's going on with the general economy. And so people confuse exactly. that and think if the stock market's up that the economy is a greater whole. You have to look at the economy in terms of GDP and so many other factors. So people get confused when the stock market's up and they, they're just following the lasers. He keeps pointing the lasers and the cats keep racing in and following the lasers you got so exactly many millions right. unemployed still, Scott. We're still in trouble. Trust me. Yeah, we still have 13 million unemployed. I mean, and finally, the employee, the unemployed are going down to uh, just over 800,000. We had, what was it, 20-something weeks of over a million. We've had now two to three weeks down under a million. But still, the overall gross number is about 13 million out of work right now and the $300 extra that he took from his executive order is run out in two states already some states have not seen it that money was pulling from a FEMA fund that had very limited resources of time so that money is running out for that unemployment and unemployment is just not going to be able to cut it 
for these people that don't have a job still or whose jobs are never going to return. They're saying 30% of the jobs are never going to return in certain sectors. That's a big chunk. Well, well, uh, so we, we knew that the Bob Woodward story was going to hang in the headlines, but I know that the president is smarter than he lets on to the public. I bet you a headline like this is something that dogs him. This is from the Financial Times. Economists warn of U.S. wasteland without stimulus deal. And then the underneath that byline says hope fades for the $1 trillion or more in government aid for workers, businesses, and local governments. Now, that ties in with another story that I saw, by the way, Scott, where Nancy Pelosi said that the House will not adjourn until they can reach a stimulus deal. But apparently there's also some concerns in infighting that they – the Democrats maybe perhaps aren't compromising enough with the Republicans and we can talk about that. But if they don't reach a deal, there's not going to be any relief in people's hands, not anytime before even Thanksgiving or maybe even the end of the year. Right. And I think Pelosi is walking a tightrope right now. I think it's, there's a very fine line to this tipping point where it's going to go against the It's been in the Democrats favor for a while. Uh, but I think it's getting to the point where they need to find something to negotiate. I appreciate what they've been trying to do, trying to get this big stimulus package. But by holding to their principle and not getting any stimulus pra- package passed, no one is being helped. And the thing that I don't like about it is it shows confidence, right? If, you sh- if you're confident your guy's going to win the presidency – then you can pass a short-term deal right now because in eight weeks we're going to be able to get a new deal done, right? We have a new president. If you're confident in who the new president's going to be, you know you're going to get a new deal. And by them holding this up, this is going to take them right into election day of people hurting. And we all know the things that Republicans do best are messaging, messaging, messaging. They repeat things over and over until it becomes ingrained in people's ears no matter how untrue untrue it is right so they're starting to get painted this picture now that they are not willing to negotiate that the republicans brought back this little 500 billion dollar package um which was half of what they were originally asking for and now the mean old democrats are not even helping out the public at all so this could backfire on the Democrats if they don't do something soon. I think they should show the confidence that they're going to win the presidency and pass something short term, maybe 500 to a trillion dollars to get people seeing some money ahead of time. And then they can, as soon as we win in November, they can pass all the extra deals they want. Right. Right. So 1.5 trillion is what uh, our side, if that's fair to call it, our side wants. And uh, you said that the GOP wants more in the 500 billion. So the American people are the ones that stand in the crosshairs. But you're right. Uh, I've even seen the media interviewing Pelosi and others, you know, asking the tough questions like, "Wouldn't you rather get something out to the people now? Wouldn't you rather do something?" And she's, you're right. She's continuously said in in public interviews they're holding to their principles and holding for the bigger package feeling that scraps from the table is not going to do it. So the people may end up with nothing. <laughs> Government is in right. gridlock. It's not scraps to the people that are broke, right? It's not scraps. It's it's their livelihood. So it's scraps to the, to the package they put forth, but to the people that will be actually getting any help out of it, 
that's not scraps. They'll take anything they can get at this point. People are really starting to hurt out there. We haven't even talked about what's going to happen on these foreclosures and evictions that happen after the first of the year. I mean, that's only been extended for another uh, three months, right? Three and a half months. So we, and if they don't do a package before then, that three and a half months is going to happen very quickly. And then you're going to have relief just for food and groceries, let alone your rent. So it's a real tough tightrope they're walking right now. And I think they could fall off of it very easily if they're not careful. Well, and to be fair, that affects your up and down race too, because the American, I think economics and the virus would be the two deciders amongst the, um, you know, the independents and the people that have not made their choices in both Senate congressional races and the presidency. I think what's happening in their hometowns, what's affecting their families, I think they make voting decisions based on that. There's people that may not even be watching the TV news wall to wall like you and I are forced to do for our jobs. <laughs> right, exactly. But the issues that affect no, the, the people... issues that affect the home and the table drive it. It really drives it. Pol- all politics is local. Right. And people just start to tune in now after Labor Day. This last eight weeks is when people really start to pay attention a little bit more. It's where campaigning goes into full swing, where you start seeing the candidates crisscrossing the country a little bit more. Uh, Even with COVID, they're all going out a little bit more. Biden is social distancing. Trump is obviously not. But it's where the campaign starts to get real. And these are where numbers really start to matter. Um, polls become a little tighter and a little more accurate, I think. So we're we're into the home stretch now. All happening. Uh, so on the, what do we have going on with polls? I've got one thing in front of me here from Politico. It says Biden leading Trump in Wisconsin, but running neck and neck in North Carolina. Uh, is that consistent with what you're hearing right now? Neck and neck in North Carolina, but ahead in Wisconsin. Yeah, North Carolina. Um, they're they're up to uh, tied on there. Florida, they're tied right now, even though one recent poll put Biden back ahead a little bit. Uh, he was ahead for a while, then it went to even. Now Biden on one poll is a little ahead again. But I would count Florida probably pretty even, North Carolina even. Wisconsin, he's still pretty comfortably ahead. Iowa, he's a small bit ahead. Arizona, he's a small bit ahead. He's got a lead in about four or five states, but North Carolina and Florida have tightened. Um, I'm glad to see him doing it. Today he was at Florida, and I think uh, Kamala is going to Florida uh, next week, and that's the state they really need to win. If Florida, there is no math, they don't think it will get him to the presidency. So if they concentrated on Florida heavily and then went to the other states in between, they could kind of sew this up right then and there. Um, I don't know if it's possible. And Florida, like I said, Florida's been a tight state since the 80s. I mean, the last six elections, it's been under two percentage points for the person that's won uh, either side. Oh, wow. So Florida's always been a close state. So it's really tough. So you want to spend enough time there to try to get that margin, but the margin is so close. You don't want to waste your time there and miss some of the states like Hillary did, like Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and Michigan. So it's really kind of a balancing act of getting to those states, but realizing how important Florida is and how close it is every frickin' election. 
Yeah, and according to this, the gap is even wider in Wisconsin. 55% of all respondents indicate that they disapprove of Trump's performance, with only 40% approving. So his uh, his negatives are pretty pretty high. But uh, a lot of these are still within the margin for error. The mail-in ballots and the people that are not answering polls, I mean, we have to really be very cautious here. Polls are still just the people that are answering polls and we could still be in for a surprise. I think a lot of the theories that I'm hearing right now from the top, top five people that I trust say expect to see news reports showing Trump ahead on election night, but Biden pulled right. ahead once the mail-in ballots are counted. Is that consistent with what you are hearing? Trump will be ahead on yeah, election that's night? That's what I got. And I think the Cook report even switched. Uh, the Cook report is pretty much a gold standard on polls and everything. And uh, Cook Political Report. And I think they gave Trump to, I think Nevada went from li- from le- likely Democrat to leans Democrat, which is one step below likely. And I think Florida went from lean Democrat to toss up. So Nevada and Florida, where it is tightening. And the Cook Report is who I like to. Uh, Cook Report and 348 are the two that I listen to most consistently. I think they've been probably the most accurate over the years. So the Cook Political Report and uh, the 348 blog, um, they they have usually the best accurate forecasting, if there is, um, even though the forecasting was a little funky in 2016, right? Yes, yes. Let's get into the big endorsement, though, that you sent me earlier today and I read about earlier today. I think it's very, very interesting and telling about his latest uh, latest endorsement, right? Oh, oh, sure. I've got it right here. So the – okay, the publication is Scientific American, and they have endorsed Joe Biden. And then I'm reading right off of their webpage. It says – We've never backed a presidential candidate in our 175-year history until now. So Scientific American and Joe Biden. And I think that's very telling, by the way, seeing as how science is at the heart of the COVID-19 debate, wouldn't you say? Very much so. I mean, they spell it right out. They say the evidence and the science show that Donald Trump has badly damaged the U.S. and its people because he rejects evidence and science, is what the editors wrote. They say the most devastating (laughs) example is the dishonest and inept response to the COVID-19 pandemic, which has cost more than 194,000 lives. So, yeah, I mean, I think when you have scientists (laughs) voting against for the first time in 175 years endorsing the candidate that's running against you, I would be a little worried by that if uh, if you were a betting man. I mean, it goes to those white, educated, uneducated uh, voters that we talk about a lot, because that's the kind of the big difference. You find a big swing more of the uh, college-educated white voters um, listening to science a lot more than non-college-educated, which makes sense, because they don't know the science as well, right? So I think it's very interesting. That's where a lot of your undecideds and that's where a lot of your independent voters lie, are in that little um, group right there. So I think this could hold a little sway. It'll be interesting. I mean, the reasoning is spot on. 
but I was just kind of excited to see that happen. What about you? My well, my favorite quote from them is uh, just two bits here. They talk about his Biden's approach to the pandemic, healthcare, and climate change plans that are based on science and facts. But listen to this: Joe Biden, in contrast, comes prepared with plans to control COVID-19, improve healthcare, reduce carbon emissions, and restore the role of legitimate science in policymaking. He solicited expertise and has turned that knowledge into solid policy proposals. The magazine's editors wrote that pretty much sums up the Biden you know, policies and where the Biden campaign is at right now. I think that you, right. you couldn't see much more of a starker contrast between the two men until two weeks from tonight when you're going to get your, you know, all of the cable networks are going to have this wall to wall, but um, they're going to be on the stage together. And right now the divide is coming more clear as ever. I think the Bob Woodward book, well, it was brilliantly timed, and I'm glad that it played into this cycle right now. I don't think the Woodward book is going to drag on two more weeks. I think I think the news cycle is going to bear it by the time of the debates. What do you think? Yeah, I think the life cycle of that's probably going to be till the end of this weekend at the most. Um, I don't think it'll go much past that. Uh, he's hit a lot of the – I mean, 60 Minutes was a big interview for him on Sunday. Bob Woodward did him. Bob Woodward is doing Stephen Colbert, I think, last night or tonight. So that's kind of uh, a gold standard in political realm as far as late night goes. He's hit uh, the most of the morning news shows. So I think uh, it'll play through probably the end of this week, but it'll move on from there. I mean, we still have, I thought it was interesting last Friday, we had that one uh department girl resign from Horowitz's team um, for that they think there's going to be that the bombshell October surprise on the Republican side that we've talked about having this uh, Horowitz report come out about the investigation into the Mueller investigation. Um, they're trying to get him to put out an interim report. They don't think that it's going to be done before the election, they're really hoping to have this bombshell reporting by the election, and that's not going to happen. So now there's a push to have them put through an interim report that kind of gives them where they're going, even though they haven't proven anything yet. And they had one girl resign over it on Friday. So we'll see if that comes to be a Republican surprise in the coming weeks or not. I'm, I'm, looking, I'm looking at that every day to see what happens with that. I actually have something on that. Um, I have something on that. This is from the New York Post. It's from yesterday. So long ago in the news world, 24 hours. This may as well have been 2019. But anyway, the exactly. headline is Ron Johnson says Ron Johnson says Ukraine report will show Biden's unfitness for office. And let me just skip ahead here. He said the Senate Homeland Security Committee, which he chairs, is poised to release a damaging report on Democratic presidential candidate Joe Biden's dealings in Ukraine. And then this is in quote, stay tuned. In about a week, we're going to learn a whole lot more about Vice President Biden's unfitness for office, the Wisconsin Republican said on a call with supporters. So Senator Ron Johnson is working on a Ukraine report, which is going to be coming out next week. Maybe this is part of what they're trying to rush out. But I think that, again, first of all, we talked about this last week. Joe Biden would have never made it to the point of being the Democratic nominee for president of the United States if there was really any telling evidence that there was any there there on the Ukraine business. Uh, I mean, would right. you really put a candidate into office that's got that much dirty laundry 
in legal quandary. I, I think that there's nothing there on the Ukraine, but we'll see what we'll see what they trot out. I'm not expecting any jaw droppers, but they're going to try hard. They're going to try so hard to dirty him up. They have never stopped trying, have they? No, and it's the Senate that's doing it. Is what's really sad. You have this Ron Johnson that's been uh, uh, an acolyte of President Trump's from the very beginning, trying to drum up this report and trying to get all this inside dirt he thinks he's going to be able to find. Even Lindsey Graham today said something about, uh, I guess, the, one of the controversies now on the Mueller investigation is there was a bunch of phones that were wiped clean and the investigation said it was because they were either cracked screens or they couldn't get in the passwords, the passwords they didn't remember, something like that. And so Lindsey Graham says that's a big scandal. And if you think that's a big scandal, wait till you see what's coming out in 10 to 12 days. So they have some stuff they're cooking up. They're trying to create an October surprise. In fact, they're even dating it for October, which kind of cracks me up a little bit. Uh, but, yeah, the, these Senate Republicans – are trying all they can do. They're pulling out every stop they can get to keep Trump in power. And we'll see what happens. If they don't, this is going to be a really tough, rough four years for them because I think everything that they've done this last four years to be complicit with everything that Trump's done is going to come back to bite them in the behind if they don't win this year. I think that's one of the reasons they're helping Trump so much is they know it's good, how much it will hurt them. If they lose. Oh, it's so so. This comes back to how I really feel about the Republicans that shackled themselves to the president during the impeachment trial and refused to vote guilty. I mean, we'll give it to Mitt Romney. Mitt Romney voted guilty on one of the two charges, and uh, it's it wasn't near enough. But those that have shackled themselves to Trump through the whole process have inexorably linked themselves to this flaming dumpster fire, Scott. So they're going to get the shellacking that's coming if the up or down votes across the country, you know, this election season wipes some of them out and crafts take back a majority in the Senate, which uh, from everything I'm hearing, that would be key to Joe Biden getting his initiatives and his plans passed. Of course, it would be control of the Senate. The Senate, it has more power than the house. Unfortunately, it's, it's just our system, man. <laughs> you got to have control of the right. Senate to get anything really through. Otherwise you end up compromising and losing out key points. No, I mean, the Senate is key because the Senate's the one that does all those judges now at 51 votes. Um, they can get judges through there. They can get a lot of things through Congress that'll, that have a lot longer lasting effects. So, Senate's really tight right now. I know the Republic or the uh, Joni Ernst that's in Iowa. She's one of the ones they're targeting seven races right now. There's seven races that Democrats are targeting. There's two races that the um, um, Republicans are targeting. And it's going to be very interesting. It's going to be a tough race because right now we only need three senators if we keep all of our current ones. If we lose any, we have to add those extra on. So with four competitive races right now, we'll see what happens. They think Jody Ernst today in Iowa, her competitor just got a pledge of $7 million in advertising for the last seven weeks. So she's getting support. Of course, uh, Bloomberg just uh, gave a $1 million to Biden in uh, Florida 
which is our $100 million, excuse me, $100 million to Biden in Florida. So people are starting, the, the stakes are getting up for advertising buys and what they could do. So we'll see what happens. But right now, I think the Senate one's up for grabs. The Republicans are trying to get a seat in Michigan, Alabama, Doug Jones' seat in Alabama. And Democrats are trying to get South Carolina, North Carolina, Arizona, uh, Iowa, and I forget the other three. They're trying. They have seven. They're trying. Oh, one is uh, Maine, where Susan Collins is at, and I forget where the other two are. But that's going to be a key. If we could get the Senate, even if Trump happens to win, God forbid. If we could get the Senate, and that probably won't both happen. If he wins the presidency, he'll probably get the Senate to keep the Senate as well. Um, but that would be a check in the power if you have both of the Senate and the House being um, Democratic, then it could slow down judges and things like that. So we'll see what happens. It's going to be a very close now, did I Did I dream it or did the president – so the president gave a big indoor rally yesterday, if I understand correctly, and I think that the Lincoln Project did a mashup of some of the ridiculous things that he said. But is it is it true? Did you hear anything about this? Did the president go off the rails at this event or did you hear anything about the event, Scott? I don't remember if I heard anything about yesterday. I know there's some stuff he said Sunday. I mean, he says ridiculous things at everyone, so I don't know the specifics. I know he did say some things at one of them. He had two indoor rallies. He had an indoor one in Las Vegas on Sunday and an indoor one in Arizona yesterday. So there was two of them that he had for his indoor rallies. Both pretty, or all of his events this weekend have been pretty popular and well attended. I mean, the one thing he said while he was at California yesterday was about climate change, where one of the um, panelists that he met there, climate change, and he said, oh, it's going to get colder. Take my word for it. And the guy said, well, I wish the scientists agreed with you. And Trump says, well, the scientists don't really know that much, do they? And so that's all oh, I saw that. that. I saw that. For it. So, so that wasn't a rally, but he has said some really silly things the last couple of days. So I'm not sure which exactly one uh, that article is referring to, but I'm sure he has said a couple whoppers. Well, I have a quote from yesterday, and I think it was a rally, but listen to this. But with regard to the forest, when trees fall down after a short period of time, about 18 months, they become very dry. They become really, really like a matchstick, and they get, you know, there is no more water pouring through, and they become very well – they just explode. They can explode, and that quote is attributed to the president yesterday. And so that's part of what I saw in the Lincoln Project. I wish I had the clip ready, but the Lincoln Project had a mashup of clips from yesterday. And um, I can't even imagine the whole thing without the mashup. It just looks so ridiculous. I don't know. Yeah, the I mean, reason the reason I'm going the reason I'm going on about this is that uh, you were you, you're talking about things that you're tracking through the whole process, Scott. The president's mental health is one of the biggest things that I'm tracking, and I'm tracking it because there's been a long series of stories watching this, and now the recent reveal about his visit to that medical center for eight hours and things of that nature. So the president's right. mental health and whether or not he's losing it with now 49 days to election day is foremost on my mind. (laughs) 
Yeah, we'll see. I mean, I just think he rambles too much. He doesn't remember what he said. I don't know how much of that is mental acuity or not, but I hear what you're saying there. Um, I just like that he kind of got schooled a little bit in forest fires the other day. He's all, he's all keeps talking about California's not raking their forests is what's causing all these wildfires. Yet he kind of doesn't realize that uh, 25% of the forests in Oregon, 44% in Washington, and uh, most of uh, 60% in California are all federal forests. And a lot of these burns are happening in federal forests that his park department should maintain. He's yelling at the states for their for their bad handling of these fires because they're not sweeping their forests when it's the federal forests are the ones that are uh, have a, most of these fires happening in. So I just think it's very interesting that he doesn't even realize that it's his own forest. He's trying to blame it on the states when he has no clue what he's talking about. Um, I want to give a quick update that on that since I'm speaking to you all here from Oregon. So for a solid week now, the smoke here has been intensifying. If you look at all the pictures from Portland and surrounding areas that are going out over the national wires, it's very orange. It looks like images from Mars, quite frankly. Um, there are employees calling out sick. Uh, on Monday, they were saying it's not safe to be outdoors in downtown Portland, Oregon. I mean, to be honest with you, I don't have any news to give you whatsoever about the riots or protests in Portland because I think the fires and recent events shut that down. If there is still a nightly event going on, it's not even on my headlines, man. I think that everyone raced home to take care of their families and their homes and deal with this. It was the one thing that managed to break that 100-day streak of our protests. That was one of the questions I had for you today was what's happening with the riots because I know the fires have taken a front seat here. I mean, Portland, Oregon on Sunday and Monday had the worst air quality in the world, in the world, and we're talking China and everywhere else. So uh, because of the fires, they had the worst air quality in the world on Sunday and Monday. And you haven't heard about the rioters. And I'm, it'd be very interesting if this fire takes away some of the Repo- Republican talking points by quelling these protests. We'll see if they come back up again. But uh, that could be an interesting side effect from that. I was wondering if there's been anything in the local news reported about the protests while this is going on. Um, just. Just a little bit of the politics on it. I mean, uh, the Patriot Prayer founder, Joey Gibson, is suing the Portland area DA for selective prosecution. Um, Just to recap some of the events, you know, a member of Joey Gibson's Patriot Prayer was shot and killed in Portland. And then the alleged gunman, we have to say alleged because he never went to trial, was actually shot in the process of being arrested. So there won't be a trial. So, but... um, Anyway, you've got some prosecution going on, and our mayor, Ted Wheeler, is still under fire for how he handled the protests, and he says he won't capitulate to critics. So there's still some politics going on, but I think that, for the most part, the protests broke apart because right now it's smoky out there, worst air quality in the world. I actually heard that smoke from uh, Portland's fires made it as far as the East Coast this week. The smoke traveled across the country, if you can believe that, kind of like when Mount St. Helens blew. Yeah, it was the West Coast in general. They were able to see it in Virginia and in New York, uh, some of the effects of the smoke. I read that this morning as well. And I even posted on social media today, there was a 
uh, I mean, it's sad that it was a beautiful picture, but it was basically 10,000 feet in a, a plane over the clouds, and it looks like this beautiful red color underneath all the clouds down below, which was the wildfires. Looking at it from a plane's point of view, it was a uh, a, a beautiful but scary picture of what was happening underneath. But kind of it, kind of an interesting pic that I posted earlier. I think significant progress has been made on the fires, and we are expecting some rain this week. So um, keep keep everyone in your thoughts and prayers. But I think I think some major progress has been made this week, and uh, rain is right around the corner. We didn't get as much rain as was predicted, but I'm seeing lots of positive headlines. They have reduced the evacuation zones. We're getting lots of positive headlines, except for the one thing, Scott. Um, they call a bunch of phone numbers, like a reverse 911, like it's a bad call, to say that they're mm-hmm. reducing evacuation zones. It's like I disagree with the whole using the reverse 911, which is a scary phone call, to give good news. I disagree with that. They should have just sent a tweet or something. <laughs> right. Yeah, that is a little kind of scary. Kind of getting that, like, oh, God, do I want to open this? That's just going to be bad news. Oh. But I'm I'm no longer in the evacuation. I was in the evacuation zone through Sunday. I think they dropped it on Sunday. So, um, yeah, I'm in the clear now. Very, Where very I reside, good. so. Uh, what else do we want to talk about? That Caputo guy, I guess, that we talked about him yesterday, he apologized to his HHS staff today for his um, off the wall. Speaking of mental health, this guy's off the wall live posting on Sunday is still making rounds. I'm just upset they haven't fired his happy butt yet. Uh, Have you been following that story yet? That Michael Caputo of HHS, the communications director. So it looks like his departure well, let me see. The departure of the administration's top health spokesperson would be a major blow to Trump's messaging strategy in coronavirus. So is he leaving or has he signaled his desire to resign or leave? Is that what's going on? Well, we're hoping he'll resign. Um, he, there was a, a little rumbling today. He may um, resign due to quote unquote health reasons that were undisclosed. But no, what happened is this guy's a political appointee for the communications. He's the communications director for health and human services. He has stopped um, the, he's made all of the CDC guidelines go through him before they were published. So he can kind of make sure they don't undermine president Trump's political message on everything. So he was a campaign guy back in 2016 for Trump politically appointed to be this communication person for homeland or for uh, health and human services. And on Sunday he went on a Facebook rant on his personal Facebook page doing about <laughs> 12 different conspiracy theories on that Biden is not going to accept that Trump's going to win and they're going to be a call to arms for people to stock up on their guns and ammunition to overthrow the president and all this other stuff. And, so he just went off on this really wacky live Facebook tirade on Sunday. So starting yesterday, everyone's kind of calling for him to be fired or resign. So the only thing we've heard today so far is supposedly he might resign due to health reasons, which is basically sounds oh. like a saving face move. 
or mental health. Yep, I've got it right here. Looks like he blamed his recent behavior on a combination of physical health issues and the toll of fielding death threats against his family. Okay, now that's something that I have talked with you about before, you know, the death threats that come in and how we've had to, you know, at my other radio station, how we had to call the uh, Secret Service and some people for their threats. That stuff is serious and that does take a toll, but that is not a justification for going on an Alex Jones wackadoodle, you know, far fringe right when he is a communications person for the CDC. I mean, that he won't survive that one. I, I predict it right now. This guy is not going to last even two weeks. Or his resignation date will be announced and be within two weeks. They're going to want to get this it, guy it out of the news cycle is my point. Yeah, it really should be. I mean, it's the only logical thing. Between him and the postal guy, I mean, the postal guy is still – the latest thing is – and I don't even think this is a scandal. Now they're just trying to find stuff, though. But they're talking about he took four people from his company and hired them in as his associates when he got hired on as postal postmaster. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think everyone hires people to surround themselves with. But I guess these people might have some questionable taste. We're still waiting to find out, though, if he's paid other people's financial donations. And that's the biggest scandal for him right now. But it's just amazing scandal after scandal after this president. and People just don't mind it. I don't know what they are expecting from him. How anyone has helped him. Any, I don't know of any person... Any person that makes under 200000 a year that I've met that have benefited personally from this president, I don't know what it is. Can you think of anything anyone has benefited personally from? Just the rich. Just the just those one percenters, man. Right. Oh, we got about 10 minutes to finish up. I mean, I think Breonna Taylor is probably a big story. It doesn't really have as much to do with the election except for the overall theme of Black Lives Matter and the political and civil unrest, racial unrest in the company in the country and what's happening. Her family received a $12 million settlement today from the city of Chattanooga, Tennessee, and the police department. But they are still no arrests been made yet, and they're still calling for that part to be done. But uh, unfortunately... Um, we'll see what happens with that. That's still going through the works. But the family did get a $12 million settlement today, uh, probably one of the biggest. I think it is one of the biggest um, that's been done from a city for following that. But there's there's still no arrest made. And this was obviously a such a bad shooting to begin with. They were in the wrong apartment. The person they were looking for was already in custody. So I think that's going to – we'll see if this changes the story at all today. I don't think there's too much that can change to it. But it's always there's always going to be something bringing up the racial tensions in the country as well. And I think that's another thing that Biden is excelling at. I think the one positive in the Breonna Taylor settlement announced today is that the $12 million package for the family also includes several police reforms, including hiring social workers to assist in certain calls, new drug testing rules. There's also an incentive for police officers to live in some of the low-income neighborhoods and a new level of scrutiny over search warrants. So, 
Yeah, I mean, those are positive steps, and those are things that you want to see to clean up the police department. The no-knock warrants is really needs a more solid look, if you ask me. I had never even heard right. of a no-knock warrant before the Breonna Taylor case. This was a new term for me, and uh, that's disturbing that a judge can sign off on that. A no-knock warrant means you're basically coming in armed and strong without knocking, and you have a warrant right. signed off by a judge. That's a frightening prospect. Back in my day, you used to bang on the door and say FBI or whatever, but, wow, that was so 2019, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, just the technology is so much what is – and just surveillance. I mean, I don't see the point of a no-knock warranty. If you are sure that person, there should be someone that's been surveilling that place and been parked outside for a few days to know that you're at the right person's house, right? That you can do that very low-tech. And it just it's it kind of surprises me that we have these things that things can go so bad. How do you not know you're in the wrong place? How do you not know the person's already in another jail? We find out things like that all the time, relatively low tech things that can be done to improve this stuff, and uh, just doesn't get done. I also heard a lot of news today. I've got many push alerts saying that we're very close to getting a vaccine, um, which <laughs> did we or did we not say that like that's the October surprise is the president offering a vaccine solving or appearing to solve the COVID-19 crisis for Americans. Boy, that probably could sway some independent votes, even if it's just a sugar pill. So when I just Google it, I get a combination of headlines like this, Scott, NIH very concerned about serious side effect in the AstraZeneca corona, coronavirus vaccine trial, or the flip side, Pfizer reports potential with COVID-19 candidate vaccine after expanding their trial to 44,000 people. So it's like, well, wait a minute. You, on one hand, you got the NIH is very concerned about side effects in the AstraZeneca trial, and Pfizer is saying that they're making progress. So I don't see anyone coming out and saying, we've got it, we've got it. It's passing all the trials. I, I still think that the Tony Fauci's of the world are going to say, wait, don't rush this out there. Yeah, I think, I think we're moving I so think, fast. Yeah, I think it's going to happen. I think we're going to see one announced by the end of October. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out because it's going to have the announce. It's going to see what that announcement effect has because Even if they push us through on an emergency order to have it out by the end of October, they're saying it's going to be a two-dose thing one month apart, um, that they still won't know all the side effects, that they're not going to be able to get it out to everybody at once. It's going to be to health workers and things like that first. It's going to take a while for, for it to get out there. So even if it's done the last week of October, it's going to be a placebo announcement effect. It's going to be very interesting to see how people, how that affects people's vote because they can start it well, out on October 29th, but it's not going to be readily available and it's not going to be the vaccine where all of a sudden, okay, COVID has gone tomorrow once they announce a vaccine. Yeah, and the president apparently said on Fox and Friends today that he was not doing it for political reasons. like, <laughs> Really? Yeah. And they believed him? <laughs> right. You fools. You're fools. That's his network though. <laughs> right. And the guy just been announced that he's been a liar for the last 
five days. And why would you believe anything he says anymore? But no, yeah, it's very, very convoluted. I think they're going to, and we'll see what happens. I think just to make the announcement, and then it's going to say they're going to try it in a very small group of people, like healthcare workers or things like that, and see what happens. And it's a two. Once they have to do what it's going to entail, because like I said, I haven't seen one yet that says it doesn't have to have two shots uh, one month apart. If they announce at the end of October, you're not going to know if it has any effectiveness until the end of November. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Also in the headlines today, I mean, literally just today, Israel signs an accord with United Arab Emirates and Bahrain at the White House ceremony. So again, another another photo op, more optics happening with Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu there at the White House with the president. You know, I know that that was already in the works, but the timing of these things does look funny to me. It, it looks a little bit like wag the dog when you've got these bad headlines and all of a sudden you have this public ceremony signing of this deal um, don't get me wrong. We we are an ally of Israel, and we definitely want to see peace in the region. And these are right steps. But the timing smells. I I think something funny here. Yeah, I mean, what what can you say on that? I mean, it's something like you said. It's a positive thing. You have to give them a positive marks for bringing it together. It's not a peace deal per se. It's a um, enhanced relations, I guess where it's like they're going to make some diplomatic relations, but it's not an official peace deal, quote-unquote, but it is a huge step in the right direction. So who knows what, what that means and how long they did it, if they held it till as long as they could hold it for, or how long the talks have been going on. That That's either here or there. you got to give them a win. Every once in a while you have a win, and that's a win for them. So good on them for doing that. It's good for everybody all the way around if it – Holds the peace, but I, I don't mind giving yeah. them a win every once in a while. We we gotta we gotta root for wins when we can, just because they're a dip, different party, right? So um, I, we'll see what happens with it. We'll see how it plays out. But you're well, right, the timing could be fishy. Well, when I come back to see you on Thursday, which is in two whole days, again, so many news stories could come up between now and again. But there's a Biden, a whole push of Biden stories that I got push alerts for in the first half of the day that I can't find now. So I don't know if they just got pushed out by other things. But I saw several headlines, including Reuters, push out headlines that said that Biden was in trouble with the Latino vote. So I would like us to put a pin in that and come back to that on Thursday and see if the uh, Biden in trouble with Latino voters and them flocking to Trump is still a thing by Thursday, or if that was just a momentary glitch in the matrix. Yeah, we'll definitely look into that. And Thursday, I believe he's having a CNN town hall meeting. So that'll be happening probably right before, right during our show. So it'll be interesting to see if any quick headlines comes out of that or not. But yeah, that'll be happening Thursday as well. So we'll definitely talk Biden quite a bit on Thursday. Well, thank you, my friend, for spending the hour with me. Let everyone know where they can find you again. Um, so GBC News Radio is uh, my other radio gig. BrendanCarmody.com is my artistic gig full of clips, music, and uh, upcoming series soon to be announced. <laughs> Please check it out. There you go. All right, guys. Well, thanks for tuning in. We'll be here the rest of the week at 5 o'clock Pacific. 8 o'clock Eastern time, where we talk about the last 100 days, question mark. 
right here on the Left of Straight Radio Network. And uh, please listen in. You can give us a call anytime during the hour. We will announce at the beginning of each show. And Brandon, we'll talk to you Thursday. Have a good afternoon. We'll play out to a little bit of uh, Cameron Hawthorne dancing in my living room. Have a great night, everybody. Thank you for using Blog Talk Radio. 10 p.m. We're here again After a bottle of red Something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. 
ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs> 